What's up, Jags? <laughs> what in the <laughs> do you have on your head? Can't use that clip. <laughs> we were we were purposely recording for when you joined so we could hear your reaction to Pierre's toque, and it was entirely unusable. <laughs> Although I guess we could. We would just have to, like, could you blur out his wow. mouth and his word, Zuby, and use it? <laughs> Hello, folks, and welcome to Got Your Back NHL Edition. Today on the podcast, Darren Dreger is going to join Pierre Lebrun and I to recap a busy week around the hockey world, including Bob Nicholson testifying in front of the Standing Committee on Canadian Heritage. We'll review that. The general manager meetings took place and some trade talks obviously happening in the meantime. We'll take a look at some early season juicy names that might be floating around out there. And we'll go around the horn on a wide variety of topics in yet another novelty game show that is going to annoy dregs. Presented by Cross Country Canada, this has got your back, NHL edition. And we remind you, Cross Country Canada provides equipment and supplies to all facets of the Canadian construction industry. There are truly Canadian companies. Company Four Buddies launched it in a garage with nothing but a folding table and an idea back in 2014. Well, they now have built it into multiple locations across Western Canada, over 100 employees, and they've expanded into all areas of the construction industry. Their company motto, Get Her Done, is proudly displayed on the walls at their head office, and they live by it. Cross Country Canada Supplies and Rentals, our title sponsor here on Got Your Back NHL Edition. As we say, good morning, Pierre Lebrun and Darren Dreger. Dregs. How are we going to handle this situation, Dregs? Like, what's the right, what's the right thing to do here, bud? The, wow, the I mean, number one, he's, the smile, he's a smile, the whole. Yeah, he's a Cowboys fan, so that in and of itself <laughs> explains a lot. Um, so I, I don't know what Pierre's wife Stacy says about headwear or style or clothing in general. Every <laughs> single time that I put on, I call it a toque. It's not a wool cap. We're Canadian. It's a toque. Um, I put one on to to shovel snow or do whatever I'm going to do. I don't wear it as a fashion statement. I wear it because I'm going outside. It's cold. I want to keep my head warm. My wife, Holly, looks at me and goes, oh, my God, you just look terrible with a toque on. So, Pierre, I don't know, man. I look great? I don't know. Is that what you're going to say? Is that it's different It looks like your head's going to explode with that thing on it. Well, I got a big head. There's no question. It's one of the few toques I've ever found that actually fits my head. So that's why I like uh-huh. it so much. Looks like a garbage yeah. bag on there. <laughs> the question that I have. I'm for recovering you, from this cold. I sound like you, Dregs, right now, by the way. So. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, if, by the way, this podcast is available on YouTube. So if people want to actually see what it is we're talking about, you can go to YouTube and check it out. I mean, Pierre showed up today wearing a nice, uh, I think that's a Predator yeah. Ridge golf course. Predator spot, Ridge, which is, Brennan, BC. Yeah, so Beautiful that's spot. that's definitely, that's legit. Um, but a Dallas Cowboys toque that is, well, shall we describe it as straining? Right now, strapped around <laughs> the top of his head. Uh, Pierre, the I just star I on the, the, I, the Dallas Stars logo looks like a planet. <laughs> the question I have, Pierre, is how bad is the hair underneath there? Like, oh, it's like, uh, it's. On, I need a haircut. It. Let's see it. Come on, no, let's see it. no, come on, come on. Zero I'll show chance. you my hair. I got bad hair underneath this hat. Look at that. <laughs> oh hey, boy, don't ever do that again. <laughs> That was not. That You're going to get a million subscriptions to your YouTube channel for this alone. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, goodness. By the way, Dregs, um, for some reason, your mustache, it looks better on this podcast than it does on air. I'm not sure if it's the hat that maybe tightens up the whole look. Um, <laughs> last night on air, your mustache was distracting, pal. And I, I know why you're doing it. It's a great cause. I respect you for it. Yeah. But November. you should ask them. Yeah. You should ask them if you can wear the hat on air, too, because it looks better with the hat. Hey, Pierre. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. And it is a, an amazing cause, and I love that Dregs does it every day. A lot of guys do. I'm always confused in every November because I have facial hair all the time. Right. right. I always wonder, one of these years to raise money, should I just shave my face? No one's ever seen me on air without facial yeah. hair. Like maybe I, I think go they the other do way? that. I think there is the reverse yeah. November where for guys like you okay. who have facial hair all the time, you can shave in, in, uh, in recognition. I should absolutely. Not a bad I will do that next yeah. year. Yeah. And, uh, and if you want to donate uh, uh, to Dregs yes. and this Movember cause, we're going to put the link up. Uh, oh, Zuby can man. do that. Uh, Zuby can do that in post-production. He'll put up the link, and we'll also put the link in our show notes. So Dregs, good on you for, uh, for doing you. that. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, lots to get to. Let's get to the breakdown brought to you by Pro Hockey Life. Christmas is on the way. Pro Hockey Life has everything you need for the hockey player or the monster fan in your life from equipment that'll fit all of your players' needs to team apparel, jerseys, clothing, novelty items, lots of great stocking stuffers. It'll be a one-stop shop for the Christmas shopping for the hockey fans in your life. 16 locations across the country. Pro Hockey Life, like you, like us, is obsessed with the game. Okay, guys, uh, Dregs, let's uh, start with Bob Nicholson and his testimony. Um, you know, much anticipated over the last month or so since the last hearings, testifies in front of the Standing Committee on Canadian Heritage on you know Hockey Canada's handling uh, of alleged sexual assaults, uh, mm. allegations that go all the way back to 2003 mm. when Bob Nicholson was in charge. Uh, I will start with one of the things that I didn't love about the testimony. I think in situations like this, you know, having specifics can matter. And I know that things happened a long time ago. I didn't love the fact that when they were asked how many settlements there were dating back uh, to his time, they didn't have a specific number. He said seven, but he didn't necessarily trust that number. That was one of the moments that I didn't love. I think I think details matter and specifics matter. And in that instance, it would have been nice for him to have had those specifics. With that said, though, Dregs, overall, the tone of this set of meetings felt uh, different than the last few, didn't they? It, it did, um, but I wonder if that's not societal too, right? I mean, so much of this has been driven by reporting, you know, from Rick Westhead and Katie Strang and, and so many other good investigative reporters. Uh, but social media has been a constant wheel in, in covering the proceedings, you know, leading up to, you know, Scott Smith departing from Hockey Canada. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm not say that the, saying that the appetite is waning, um, it certainly isn't from those who were managing uh, the Q&A, right? I mean, these people have been relentless in pursuit of the truth and why these funds were allocated, how much of these funds are actually coming from parents like all of us who have had children. Pierre still has kids playing minor hockey and, and pay great fees over the course of a season. Well, how much of those parental fees are going into these funds to cover off the allegations and incidents of this. Um, one of the many takeaways for me in, in watching specifically Bob Nicholson, as you as you bring to our attention here, Ryan, was the fact that he acknowledged regret. You know, Nicholson is known for building this 
ginormous financial uh, financial institution which Hockey Canada has become known for. You ask anyone in the international circles, they will tell you that the two superpowers internationally in hockey are Russia and Hockey Canada. That's just Mm -hmm. fact. It's not USA Mm -hmm. Hockey, it's Russia and it's Hockey Canada. So for Nicholson to acknowledge that, okay, all of that is great. You know, I, I made Hockey Canada, developed Hockey Canada into a financial dynamo, but I regret not putting policy and overseeing policy to do a better job of managing this. I think that that's an honest and uh, a fair assessment of responsibility. Yeah, and it, it all leads to what is this all going to look like at the end of this is what I think intrigues me the most as far as and maybe some of this is, is kind of granular and doesn't interest everyone, but the level of transparency and the detail in the procedural, um, um, you know, context that's going to exist at Hockey Canada at the end of all this is going to be dramatic, I think. I mean, yeah. I think it's going to look completely different. And I think that's what has to happen at the end of all this. The, this has to matter so that when these things are happening again, there's an accounting for them. There's a procedure there's a transparency. There's all these levers that should have existed to begin with that are in place. And, and, and let's be honest, not just at Hockey Canada, but I think a lot of different institutions are looking at this saying, oh, here's a lesson for all of us. Yeah. And, and Nicholson, you know, when you talk about what he was apologizing for, I mean, listen, he was there when, when these funds were established. And, uh, and I believe the independent uh, investigation or review into it, the finding was that establishing these funds was actually prudent in principle to establish these funds that could deal with uninsured claims. Um, that that was yeah. it was necessary and prudent. So the establishment yeah. of them was, however, the transparency, the the right. openness, the reporting of it, the things being above board on the record, yeah. and this is one of the things that Nicholson also. Uh, heavily regretted was having too many meetings where they were not taking notes, they were not taking yeah. minutes, that were not official meetings. Uh, a lot of this stuff that was dealt with was clearly dealt with in a way that it was, eh, to keep it kind of off the official record. And that all files into that, you know, that same category of not being transparent. And if there's anything that this whole situation needs, it's to be bleached with sunlight all the way back yeah. to 98.03.18. We need sunlight, and uh, Nicholson Correct. definitely admits they didn't have enough of that back when he was running things, Dregs. Agreed, agreed. And and that has to be one of the main takeaways from here. Um, you know, the, the discussion over the NDAs was curious to me as well, and, and that's not just specific to Bob. That brings you into current day and, and Hockey Canada as well, the non-disclosure agreements that they would have with with so many of the participants in these allegations over time. And the fact that some of these NDAs, if not the majority of them or all of them, still haven't been lifted. So as long as you still have that veil of secrecy hanging over some of these things, it's going to get out. If we've learned nothing else through, again, the reporting of Katie and Rick and all of it, this stuff finds a way of getting out because it needs to get out. So I, I don't know how much of that, you know, this is separate from, from what Nicholson testified to yesterday, but I, I don't know how much of that is being held back just by the new election of the board of Hockey Canada and, and everything else that goes into it. But what is abundantly clear, again, to follow up on your point, Ryan, is that moving forward, 
you know what that platform is and that platform demo better start with transparency and being as open as you can be, but also being respectful and mindful of the wishes of the victims. Yes. Let's never get to a place where the victim isn't priority one. Yeah. yeah. And finally, I guess one last thought for me would be that it'd be interesting to see what the new Hockey Canada board looks like after the election, right? Um, yeah. I heard from one person recently who uh, was debating uh, uh, throwing his name in the ring, and I think that he would certainly bring a, a different perspective to things. So it'd be interesting to see whether yeah. he does or not, and who else ends up being part of that. Because let's face it, that's that's where your leadership begins. $24 million in sponsorship revenue. Um, Hockey Canada has lost as a result, they estimated, um, of sponsors pulling out. Spent $1.6 million on Navigator, the crisis management firm, uh, to come in and help them navigate their way through this. Uh, no scheduled meetings yet as far as next steps go, but we will certainly stay on this story as it continues. Okay, let's get to the general manager meetings. Not a ton of meat on the bone, I guess we would say, as far as like real interesting topics that came out of there. So maybe, Pierre, some of the most interesting ones are in fact the side conversations that get had because this GM meeting is the one that happens before the trade deadline. So there's probably a few more conversations happening in the hallways. Did you see many general managers huddled? <laughs> I actually did. It's funny, you know, like you, you laugh that, well, it's not really how it works in, in, in modern day. I literally did see several pairings of GMs after the meeting walking <laughs> out together and having a little chat in the lobby. I won't say who, uh, but uh, Pierre Dorian uh, was front and center. And one of the things he said is, I mean, you, that he, he does notice a difference in terms of what it feels like to come to the November meeting when teams are starting to take stock and, and looking at the marketplace. Whereas when they all meet for three days, in March, it's post-trade deadline, and there's none it's of done. that. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, the only thing is it's a quick day. They, they went four and a half hours yesterday, and we're in and out. So it's yeah. not like they spend that much time together. And you're right, in terms of meet on the bone, the agenda, it was, I mean, once in a while, this will happen with the GMs meeting, because I think it's the league's way of saying, we don't have to act like our hair is on fire every time we meet. Yeah. And I think the league feels right now the game's pretty good. And yeah, they went over different things and nuances in the game did a lot with hockey ops and so on, but really nothing that that stood out to me. That's for sure. Anything on the meetings dregs or you want to hop right into the names? Um, no, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's always a check this meeting, right? You know, and, and hockey operations uses it to gauge from general managers, you know, just some of the, the, the more interesting aspects of, of how the game is called now. Right. You know, um, the coaches challenge the the video review process in general. I know that there were some difficult discussions around goalie interference, just because there's there's always that Groundhog level Day. Of, yeah, it's it is it's Groundhog Day because it's such a judgmental issue, um, and it's an inconsistent problem that the National Hockey League seems to have. But you know they don't emerge from a meeting like that and say, "Oh, let's fix it. Let's do this the right, right. way." We've seen that time and time again, but not this time around. It was pretty basic. Okay, let's dive into some of the early season trade scenarios that are kind of developing. Pierre, you wrote a little bit about a number of these things. Um, I want to start first and foremost with Bo Horvat because I think of all the players whose names are being floated out there, 
this guy is having a heck of a good season. Uh, he's got 14 goals on a team that is really struggling to find itself, a team yeah. that is struggling to find itself in terms of where they actually are in their development phase right now. Are they rebuilding? Are they not? They got this JT Miller deal that they did, which kind of flies in the face of what the process maybe should look like. So all of this could equal Bo Horvat out there in dregs if this is the case. Um, you'd think there's lots of suitors for a guy that plays the game the way he does. It's unrestricted. Yeah, but we go through the same dance, right? Um, he, his value becomes more significant if he's signed and traded or if there's an allowance for you know Newport to uh, have a conversation with the interested general manager to say, okay, well, in your mind, what does an extension look like? And then it becomes a family matter for Bo Horvat. You know, is... He in mid-season or later in the season, if you drag this thing right to the March 3rd trade deadline, in a position where he's willing to make that call. And we've seen it historically time and time again where players aren't at the trade deadline ready to uproot their family and say, okay, I'm going to sign on the dotted line. I'm going to give you an eight-year package and away we go. They're just not mentally prepared to do that. I wonder too, though, and this is just speculation on my part, um, because in fairness, the agency and the Vancouver Canucks have been pretty good in keeping this locked down. Now that tells you one of two things. Either they're not negotiating, which I believe to be the case, they're effectively in a stalemate, or they just want it to stay private. I, I just feel like it's a stalemate. So how much longer before Bo Horvat says, all right, you know, we're waiting for a coaching change here, all this. He says, you know what, I, I feel like I'm having a good year. I'm pulling my weight. I'm trying to do everything as a leader of the Vancouver Canucks to make this organization better. I'm not pissing around with the contract. I'm going to wait now until the end of the season. And he just draws that line in the sand. I'm not sure he's going to play that card, but who would be surprised if he did that? Yeah. And there's no question, Dregs. I think there have not been any negotiations in a long time on that, on that file. And, and it has the potential to be the biggest trade of the year in season before yeah. March 3rd, let me be clear, because we get bigger ones in the off season. And the reason I say that is that with all due respect to Patrick Kane, who is the bigger name and, and potentially the more impactful player to get dealt as a rental because he has a full no move clause and his agent, Pat Brisson will have so much control over that process. Yeah. The return on Patrick Kane is not going to be overwhelming. It's going to be more similar to the return on Claude Giroux a year ago when Claude Giroux said, I just want to go to Florida. So that tied the hands of the Philadelphia Flyers, essentially. I mean, Colorado was in there a bit. But in Horvat's case, zero no-trade clause in his contract. I mean, the Canucks mm. have complete open canvas to get all the teams in the league involved. And it's interesting what you mentioned, Dregs, because uh, you know I, I wrote about this recently, too. I wondered if a non-playoff team would, at the very least, try to get in on it and say, can we bring July 1st forward to now? in terms of, of signing Bo Horvat as part of a trade. And it's rare. We haven't seen a lot of that in the cap era. But no. Mark Stone was an example of that. You, you always mm-hmm. felt like Mark Stone was going to end up with Kelly McCrimmon in Vegas mm-hmm. because of their, their past ties. And they did it in season instead of waiting till July 1st, right? So who knows? We'll mm-hmm. see maybe if a team jumps up like that for Bo Horvat. Uh, Jacob Chikrin is a name we've been hearing for some time now. Uh, difference now is that he's going to start practicing with his team and he's going to start playing games soon. Dregs, how important yeah. is Chikrin getting off to a fast start in terms of Armstrong being able to get the ask that he's looking for? Because 
word yeah. around. And he even admitted other GMs would probably say I'm asking a lot, but he believes <laughs> and he doubled down again in the value of this player. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and he should. Um, you know, there are some general managers who feel like Jake Chickern is a top four defenseman all day long. And on some teams is a top two, maybe top three at worst. There are other general managers who they're, they're okay with him in their top four, but he's a three, four guy. So if you're in that camp, then what Billy Armstrong has been asking for for several months now is just too much. And you're not going to engage unless you have a reason to engage. And that's where it gets more complicated and more interesting for me. I think it's important for Chickren to have a fast start just for his own peace of mind. I mean, he's gone through a couple of setbacks now and trying to get back into the NHL. We have been talking about the potential of his trade. He has wanted and has pushed for a trade for a long, long time. So he needs to get back playing, get back to being as, as good as he can be, and maybe that opens the door to a number of teams. Again, you know, just look around Canada. We look at the Toronto Maple Leafs and the issues that they're facing. You know, Jordy Ben has, has come out of nowhere to be an impactful defenseman for the Maple Leafs. Well, how much can they rely on that? You know, the Ottawa mm-hmm. Senators, their season is coming apart at the seams largely because of, of how sketchy their defense is through injury and otherwise. So go down the list. But who's going to step up? I mean, I don't blame Bill Armstrong even a little bit. You got cost certainty in Jake Chickren. Cost of doing business is this, 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 and this. So if a team needs them or wants them and they see enough in them in a short period of time here in the weeks ahead, then make the deal and don't wait. Yeah, Pierre, and we'll just remind people quick, two years left at $4.6 million, And the ask is, you reported in the range of a couple first-round picks plus-plus, Pierre? It's, yeah. it's two first-round picks as part of a larger package. But the two first-round yeah. picks are really important to Bill Armstrong and the Arizona Coyotes. And and you just mentioned a, a key reason is that he's got two more years on a really cheap deal for a top-four blue liner, and he's only 24 years old. And so I think Arizona looks at him and sees what Tampa paid for Braden Hagel last year and says, we are justified in asking this for uh, for yeah. Jacob Turkman. Now, the one thing Bill Armstrong uh, said to us yesterday after the GM's meeting is that because of the number of injuries uh, to defensemen around the league, that he believes there's going to be a lot of action coming his way as soon as people see Jacob Jurkin play. As Dreg said, he's got to play, play well, and then the wheels start going again. Because I think there are teams that are like, well, before we circle back and actually do something we may regret here, let's see how he's recovering from all this. And And, and look, you also get, Pierre, you get into that, and, and general managers will fixate because they just want balance, right? So left shot versus right shot matters. It always matters. But if you're a team, and, I, and I'm just going to acknowledge Ottawa, because Ottawa is in a tough predicament right now. You've right. got And, and the they've talked dynamic. to Arizona a bunch of times. Yeah. 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 But you've got the age dynamic that fits. You've got the cost certainty, as Ryan identified, for the next couple of years. And probably most importantly, most importantly, you've got the young assets to, to make a deal like this happen without too much sacrificing of your future. Ottawa makes a ton of sense for me. So we'll see well, if Orion feels the same way here. The only, fly in the, ointment, the, only, the only fly in the ointment, Dregs, that I was thinking about this and I forgot to write it yesterday, but now I thought of it, um, <laughs> is, uh, I mean, those first round, if Ottawa goes down this road, I'm, and who knows, they may decide it's too rich for them and they don't. But let's say they do. 
obviously lottery protection will be key part of that deal. I mean, for sure. Yeah. You know, where they are in the standings right now, you don't want to be trading away Connor Bedard for Jacob Trickran. I mean, let's be honest here. So yeah, fair that's point part of you. When he's healthy, he produces well. I mean, he produces well when he when he can play. But if you're a GM looking at giving up those types of assets, you think, how many games am I going to get out of Jacob Trickran in the two years left that you have him under contract? And I think that's fair. Uh, to ask that question and be concerned about it, but he's going to be healthy here soon and playing games again. Uh, Eric Carlson, you mentioned Carlson a few podcasts ago, Pierre, as sort of a, ah, you never know, I wonder, we'll see. And then he came out and just lit the league on fire. He's having a spectacular year. He's got 10 goals already, uh, just playing great hockey. The number is so high, though, Pierre. Like that oh, cap hit, yeah. oh, that's massive. But if you get creative and you yeah. get a third party involved, I mean, you can get Maybe. that cap hit down. It's it, it will not be an easy one. Let, let's start with the facts before we get to the fun part, which is us speculating. The facts are that Mike Greer, uh, the young GM of the San Jose Sharks, came out of the GM meetings yesterday. I started asking about Eric Carlson's play. Other media guys jumped in as well. And he didn't shy away from the fact that, hey, he thinks some teams may come calling and that he's open to listening. But at the end of the day, Eric Carlson controls the entire, it's like Patrick Kane. Eric Carlson controls everything here. He's got a full no move, 100% no trade clause. And so the first question you have to ask is, is Eric Carlson and his family, who seem to be very happy in San Jose, would they entertain that depending on who phones? So that's number one. And then to your point, four and a half years left at 11.5 million cap it. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a big chunk of change. The Sharks would really have to massage what that number looked like. If you make him an $8 million defenseman, does that change things? Probably yeah. does. I mean, he looks like the Eric Carlson of old. But the bottom line is, uh, and this has been consistent, we reported on this earlier this season, Mike Greer has been consistent in his conversations with other teams, that generally speaking, not just Eric Carlson, but a lot of players on his roster, he is willing to listen. His job, when he got hired, was to completely change the direction of this Sharks roster, and that's what he's trying to do. I joked on a, another podcast, I wonder if Kelly McCrimmon and the Vegas Golden Knights can squeeze in another eight-figure player into <laughs> And the answer is probably not. I mean, it smells like an off-season deal. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, but it's it's fun to speculate on because there has been a bit of a renaissance with, with Eric Carlson and his game. Um, you know, I've had people describe him to me as a doinger, right? He's half defenseman and half winger. And right now the winger in Eric Carlson is uh, kind of taken over Shaw. Yeah. But those who are critical of his defensive game, I mean, when he's generating the offense that he does, that means he has the puck more than he doesn't. And when he has the puck, he's defending well. So there'll be tire kickers. There's no doubt because – more importantly than general managers, and I choose, I, I, I mentioned Vegas for a purpose, not because I'm linking Vegas to Eric Carlson, but we know how hungry Bill Foley, the owner of the Vegas Golden Knights, is to win. And he empowers McCrimmon uh, and George McPhee to get as creative as you need to be. You do whatever you need to be. Let's just make sure that we're a Stanley Cup contending team when the dust settles going into the playoffs. So it might take the creativity and the support of an owner in season again, stress in season, to make that happen. Well, and by the way, it, it makes sense that you at least mention Vegas, even though I think it, it's almost impossible cap-wise for them. But yeah. as, as you know, reporting on it at the time, Dregs, 
I was actually in Vegas during training camp when the Carlson deal went down and had an interview lined up with George McPhee, who was still GM at the time. He hadn't gone up to president. And I, mean, I don't think he minds me sharing this. There was steam coming out of his ears as he just found out of the Carlson traded to San Jose because Vegas was runner up. Vegas was hey. in there hard after Eric Carlson. I got a quick story on all of this, and it it relates to Pierre Dorian. So, the year that that Carlson ended up leaving the uh, the the Ottawa Senators, we're doing like the season opener for the Ottawa Senators on site at the Canadian Tire Center. And one of the first things I did in the pregame show was talk about how I didn't see any way Eric Carlson would stay in Ottawa, <laughs> and Pierre Ooh. Dorian came like up a year to earlier. The yeah, he, so almost Dorian four months came, before. Yeah, Dorian came up to the set, and he's like, come on, man. Like, really? Like, we're just getting the season going, and that's the first thing you have to talk about. Yeah, that's uh, that's a classic letting the air out of the balloon story. That's almost as good as the Bob Mc, Bobby Mack, uh, Ryan Smith retirement story there. Uh, didn't, yeah. didn't Bob McKenzie come on air one night and announce Ryan Smith was going to announce his retirement? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Hey. You're insiders. You're paid to talk about stuff exactly. that hasn't been talked about yet. So if you you pop the odd balloon, so be it. Hey, uh, you, you think we like talking about Bruce Boudreau getting fired every 12 yeah. hours? Like, come on. Yeah. That's what we yeah. have to do. Yeah, I know. You've been, you've been peppering that one out there, but <laughs> rightfully so. I don't know how many games you're going to have to win for that alarm to, uh, to go off. Um, but they picked one up a much needed Not one enough. we'll see how that goes uh just real quick let's get to two centers because i think of cup contending teams that want to make an addition at the deadline and you think oh a nice depth centerman former number 1 centers now number 3 centers i guess we'll call them in Taves and o'reilly um well, i think o'reilly's better than a 3 i think o'reilly's better than a 3 come on he hasn't yeah, played well too. but well he's got he's got 5 <laughs> points and he's minus 12 oh i know games, so yeah. He's been I mean, lousy, but I think sure. their young guys have he, struggled there too. The, aside from of late, where they've turned it around here or are trying to. Um, I mean, you look at Robbie Thomas, you look at Cairo. Uh, I mean, those big ticket guys who everyone in St. Louis expected had turned the corner have struggled out of the gate. So O'Reilly isn't alone. But he's yeah. he's a pending UFA, and and yeah. um, you know, if the Blues don't get back in the thick of it, now they've played better recently, so who knows where this is all headed. If there's one team where you can say don't give up on them too early, it's a team that in 1819 was in yeah. last place in January and won the Cup. But, um, exactly. you know, if, if if they're out of it in the new year, O'Reilly is going to be an interesting guy because, like Horvat, O'Reilly doesn't have any no-trade protection. So that's a wide-open canvas for Doug Armstrong if uh, as a rental player. Uh, to see where the fit is. I'm sure the Blues would eat some of it. I mean, listen, I don't know what the Avalanche are going to end up doing for sure. It's way too early in the season. I actually chatted briefly with Chris McFarlane yesterday at the gym meetings, and he says, hey, where I was open for business is all he would say. But they've not replaced Nazem Kadri, and they want to win another cup. I don't know if there'll be a more aggressive team come the trade deadline than the Colorado Avalanche. And whether... Mm. They, they try to bring O'Reilly back, and boy, all the history there between O'Reilly and Colorado. Uh, whether they look at a Jonathan Taze and trying to convince him to wave, uh, whether they get in on Bor Horvat, I don't know what the name is, uh, Sean Monaghan, Montreal. Yeah. But if the abs don't end up with a top six forward, specifically a center, uh, by March 3rd, uh, I, 
I'd be stunned. I really would be stunned. Anything on Taves, O'Reilly? Anything uh, on there, Dregs? No, I, I mean, but as as Pierre throws that out there, um, you know, Jonathan Taves is worth acknowledging, and not just because of the history and and what he's done for the Chicago Blackhawks organization internationally and all that. I mean, it's not that long ago where we were wondering if Jonathan Taves was ever going to be well enough to play again, period. Right. And there was so much mystery around his illness and everything that he dealt with, and to see him back and healthy and contributing in the fashion that he is i mean it's just a good hockey story it really truly is and if i'm the colorado avalanche man uh, as long as taves can sustain that level of health and his level of play he oozes character and would be as close to perfect as colorado is going to add um complimentary secondary scoring all right the character that comes with him and without having a single conversation about, with Pat Brisson or Jonathan about whether or not Colorado would be a fit, you know that Nate McKinnon would be uh, pushing oh. hard for Jonathan yeah. Taves or Patty Kane. I mean, for obvious reasons and the connection to CAA. But if you're Taves, if you're not waving to go to Colorado, yeah, where, where, are, like, you where are you going? You're not going Good anywhere. You. Then you're saying I'm not going and, anywhere. And he may not, right, Dregs? I mean, that's yeah, the thing is, that, is yeah. that Jonathan Taves is, is – you know, he may yeah. say that let's just finish the year here and then I can decide as a free agent what I want to do. Mm-hmm. The one thing about a Taze deal is that it's going to require a 13 party broker, probably because he's 10 and a half million and you're gonna to have to chop that down twice to get it to 2.625 yeah. million or somewhere around there. Okay. All right. Let's go around the league. Uh, we're going to call this one timers. Because uh, the quiz master did not like chimes, I think was the original iteration we did of it. Dregs, you were terrible at it, so we're going to change that up. It's hey, now by called the way, one timers. Stretch pretty thin, isn't he? Like quiz master. Um, yeah, the quiz master. He's doing what he does at TSN. Yeah. Now he's kind of overseeing and you know Hall pulling your pulling your puppets uh, puppet strings. Uh, and and yeah, now he's the you know the 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 okay, number guy for the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Yeah. So much well, for retirement. Very active in retirement. But uh, yeah. anyway, he, By the way, he hated. All, all kidding aside, we, we like to give Steve Dryden a hard time, but we we love the guy. And uh, the hall, I mean, the hall is so smart to have brought him in. Like, yes. I mean, he knows this stuff inside out. And there's no one I trust more for having a way to be able to put into context a player's career versus a different era versus the numbers versus. Yeah. Like Steve Dryden is so good at that. I had a couple of Hall of Fame selection committee members reach out to me asking me, is this a good thing? Yeah. I just went. <laughs> save, save the data. Save the minutes Get on your ready. phone plan. <laughs> save the minutes yes, on your phone plan. Yeah. The quiz master's Those meetings phone just doubled in length. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's no, got the no. whiteboard already set up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, well, you'll you'll know which one of these uh, one-timers are his contributions. Anyways, here's the way this works. I'm just going to mention something that's happening. You guys give me a 15-second thought on it. Uh, may or may not keep score. Probably won't, and we won't declare a winner, but let's do it like it's a contest. Dregs, we'll start with you. Uh, Matt Murray, 35 saves in his second Toronto Maple Leafs debut. Let's call it that. How do you think mm. that Kyle Dubas overall is feeling about this signing right now? Confident, feeling confident, and and he should. I mean, he was a man on an island recently when you had Murray on the sidelines with injury, Samsonov out with injury, and Dubas kept telling all of us that, look, we have goalie depth. It turned out to be Eric Shogren. 
Um, but the fact that Matt Murray would respond the way he did, yes, I know it's one game, but it's in very familiar territory of Pittsburgh. And he was decent, man. I mean, the Penguins poured it on in the second period, so I think Kyle feels yep. confident about it. A little bit long. Go ahead, Pierre. Sorry. Yeah. By the way, it wasn't a signing. It was a trade for Matt Murray. So mm. I don't know who your researcher is there, Ryan. But uh, mm. you know. Two years, 4.6. Was I uh, edit not, that out like he does all of his mistakes? No, no, I will not edit it. I will not. That was a mistake by me. I'm going to just put a mark a little uh, minus five points for me. I am not as go. confident as Dregs in Cal Dubas's confidence in Matt Murray. See what I did there? <laughs> um, I think there's a lot of uh, fingers crossed right now that trepidation, uh, trepidation, Matt Murray's. Yeah, that Matt Murray's back for good. Listen, he. We all want Matt Murray to stay healthy. What a great story if he he rebounds in Toronto. I mean, who doesn't cheer for that type of story, the bounce-back story, the underdog story? But he was limited to 20 games last year. The year before that, 27. I think I looked it up recently. He hasn't played more than 40 games since 1819 in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, listen, you, you guys are predict, uh, you know, yeah, you guys are making me go to my sound effects board here. You're playing that's the good. game, I'm and you got to find a punishing. I made my uh, point. This is okay. That's going to be that'll okay. shut you off if you're going too long. Okay, Austin Matthews, seven goals, ten assists. Uh, he has never in his career finished with more assists than goals. Is this the first year we see that drag? Seven ten for seventeen so far. No, no, it's not. Uh, he's going to get back on the goal-scoring horse. Not to say that he, he can't make plays. We know that he can, but he is a finisher, not a prototypical playmaker. Yeah. I say he ends up with 54 goals, and his assist total is lower than that. That's it. That's a that's all I got to say. That's how short it is. Well, that's playing the game right. 18-19, yeah. uh, he had 37 goals and 36 assists. He was close. Last year, 60 and 46. Matt Barzal, 17 games played, no goals, 17 assists. The good news is he's scoring on a point-of-game pace for the first time since his rookie season. The bad news is he hasn't scored a goal yet. 17 assists, 11 of them are primary. Dregs, the New York Islanders are feeling blank over Matthew Barzal right now. Hopeful that he's <laughs> he's going to start scoring, but... You've just identified all the data that matters. Those are primary assists, 11 of 17, and he is clearly generating offense. But, he, he, you know, we've seen enough to know that he, he will start putting the puck in the net. Least to the Islanders' worries, and uh, he's a playmaker. I mean, that's what he does. He looks to set up his line mates. Interesting, though, that that contract, which was negotiated by CAA, J.B. Barry, I think looms large in the Dylan Larkin negotiations with Detroit, also represented by CAA. And whether or not Steve Eisenman likes the number that Barzal ended up with, we shall see. Nice. Five points for bringing up another high-profile name, but you lost five points because you went too long, so you broke even there. The Darn. Buffalo Sabres, six straight losses. Pierre, are they coming back down to earth where everyone thought that they would be, <clears throat> or are they better than this stretch? No, they're better than this stretch. I mean, I, it, they weren't a 7-3 and three team, which they were at one point, obviously. I mean, the, they were living too high then. But big picture, they're right on track like they want to be, I think. Yeah, I agree. They're better than uh, the way they've played of late. That young defense, we're going to be talking about that defense core 
for years to come. That's how good they are. And it doesn't appear like Tage Thompson is going anywhere anytime soon in terms of being a true power forward. We'll go into extra time here on this one. You see that assist he got? Like he's scoring unreal goals. Like the skill level of this giant is like nothing we've seen. A little bit of everything too, right? He's got bite in his game. He's kind of polished that in the last year or two, but he's turned into a star for sure. You went too long. Yeah. And just a a quick aside on that is that it just goes to show you how we live in this world. We want instant analysis and and I get it. That's what we do for a living. But you think of how much Jason Botterill, the former Sabres GM got absolutely crushed for that Ryan O'Reilly trade. And listen, Ryan O'Reilly, the very next year was Con Smythe and won the cup in St. Louis. So you can see why. Yeah. But the, Patience sometimes in some of these deals, especially when you got younger players coming the other way, right? I mean, yeah. it turns out Tage Thompson was a pretty good pickup there. Yep, for sure. Uh, uh, Vasily Podkolz and gets into a scrap, hits his head on the ice. Listen, is it time for there to be a hard and fast rule when helmets come off, linesmen jump in, punches stop, getting thrown? Like, should that just be standard now? Helmet comes off, the whole complexion of the interaction has to change. Dregs. Y- yes, but it's supposed to be that way. Yeah. You know, the, the caveat is, you know, the linesmen only leap into action when safe to do so. And that's their own safety. But I, I, I think they have to police it a little bit more diligently than they do. So I can't really answer this with a straight face because, as you know, I'm the guy that doesn't think there should be any fighting period in the NHL. So now you're asking me to go on to a layer of something that the overall conversation still mystifies me. So I'm moving on. All right. Uh, oh, shoot. I got to go back to a different page on my soundboard. John Tortorella, here he is. Of course, you guys give up the, the first goal. Just just thoughts on your team start here so far in the first 15 plus minutes. We suck. We haven't forechecked. We haven't done anything as of right now. What do you want to see differently? Forecheck. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so the on the bench interview. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they work. Sometimes they're a disaster. What do you think, Dregs? The on bench interview with the head coach. Worth it because you might get some gold like that or not worth it in broadcast? No, it's worth it because of that. Uh, I don't like to walk off interviews with the players because you almost get nothing from those walk-offs. But I want to hear Tort say, we suck. I got that all day. And and credit to the interviewers for not dragging it a third question. Yeah. Yeah, just shut her down. Yeah, that was. I think that was Brian Boucher, right? Yes. Uh, but yeah. um and and it's not like he said nothing. He 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 was he was very economical towards was, but his he did share his frustration about what was going on with his team. Is that they had no forecheck? That's not nothing. I mean, it tells no. the, the yeah. viewer that's what the Flyers have to work on. I'm fine. You with know it. what was the best part? Torch trying to get the headset off and it pulls his glasses off his yeah, head. Knocked and his he glasses off. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what he said when the PR guy went up to oh, him before oh. the game and said, yeah, they're going to come on the uh, interview on the bench in period. Like, I can't imagine he's loving that idea. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. A little bit of pushback there. Okay, final one. Well, just a really quick little mini red card, yellow card, no card. And we might do one for real on this, but Mike Johnson confided in his dregs when he was a player. Uh, anytime he got a new set of gloves, he hated wearing new gloves. So he would go to one of the assistant coaches who shot the same way he did and have him wear his gloves for up to two weeks, breaking the gloves in before Mike Johnson would actually put them on his own hands and play them, play with them. Uh, I view this as high maintenance and, and a bit of a red card. Uh, Drakes, what do you think? Um, 
No, I don't. I, I think that's just a really? guy that's looking after his stuff. I mean, I can't complain because on occasion, like I get people to do stuff in my house all the time that you might think is lazy on my behalf. So he's just being industrial. I'm good with it. Really? Yeah. I mean, the gloves today are different. I don't think you would need to do that. But my only question was for MJ, why can't he break him in at practice himself and not use him in games until he feels they're ready? Just say. So it's practice a yellow. is important. Because he, well, he, yeah, if he were here, he would say because he wants to be able to practice at his best yeah. and it's as important right. to practice okay. well. But the, the thing I would ask him is this, like, you know, and we all used to get new hockey skates, right? What would we do, right? They suck the first few times you got to wear them. You wear them at home. You put them on and you watch TV with your skates on. You put your guards on and you walk around. Could Johnny not have just brought the gloves home, brought a stick home, sat on his couch, you know, working on the stick handling, whatever, this and that. Is that not kind of a, a personal thing for you to take care of? If you use them as oven, yeah. Have you been around Mike Johnson social? He's got a lot going on. <laughs> that's, that's, like, who knows? When he got home, he had something else on mind. Yeah. <laughs> He's not here to defend himself, so uh, <laughs> we'll let him off the hook. Well, I guess the the general analysis there is probably no card. I think it was pretty poodleish. Uh, okay, boys, that's gonna wrap. Uh, that's gonna wrap this up. This was the breakdown brought to you by Pro Hockey Life. Uh, coming up on the other side of the break, we'll get straight to the point with the Athletics Arpin Basu. He examines the situation in Vancouver. Was it a fundamental misread by upper management on where they were, and if so, what is the cost? Straight to the points. Coming up, you're listening to Got Your Back, presented by Cross Country Canada Supplies and Rentals. We want to tell you about a truly Canadian company. Cross Country Canada Supplies and Rentals provides equipment and supplies to all facets of the Canadian construction industry. But what sets them apart is their get-or-done attitude. It's a core value of their company. I've been to the offices. I've seen how they proudly display that on the wall at each branch. Every one of the staff members lives by the get-or-done formula to ensure they'll never let their customers down. They'll bend over backwards to get their clientele what they need when they need it. They don't make excuses. Cross Country Canada takes great pride in this attitude and they truly believe that the success of their customer is their success. You can't get much more Canadian than that. All right, time now for our Straight to the Point editorial segment. And for it, we turn back to our good friend from The Athletic, Arpan Basu. Arpin dives into the Vancouver Canucks decision-making process at a high level, the highest level over the last five or six months. Was there a fundamental misread in where this group was and is at? And if so, what is the cost of a misread like that? Here's Arpin with Straight to the Point. The Vancouver Canucks have committed the cardinal sin of NHL management, which is misreading a window to win. Let's recap a little bit. Well, less than a year ago, Bruce Boudreaux was brought in to replace Travis Green as coach, and the Canucks went on to a 32-15-10 and 10 record under Boudreaux. Jim Rutherford, named president of hockey operations, brings in Patrick Alvin as GM. They see how well the Canucks are doing and say, hey, look, we're in a good spot. We're on the verge of winning. So they have an offseason that reflects that. They go out and sign Ilya Mikheyev in free agency, and then they give JT Miller, coming off an incredible season, but an outlier in his career, a seven-year contract worth $8 million a year. Now, after this horrendous start, the Vancouver market is screaming for a rebuild, a teardown. And it's too late, unfortunately for them, because of that misreading of a window to win. We've seen this before. 
I cover a team in Montreal, the Canadians, who had the same thing. They made a run to the Stanley Cup final, said, hey, window to win. It's wide open. Let's act that way. They had an offseason, signed Mike Hoffman to a contract that they shouldn't have, did a whole bunch of things that reflected the fact that they were in the Stanley Cup final and were on the verge of greatness. The Canucks must have felt the same way because of how they did under Boudreaux. And now, ironically enough, it would seem that Bruce Boudreaux's days are numbered as the Vancouver Canucks coach. But the actual sin here lies with management and being fooled by that great coach bump that lasted much longer than new coach bumps usually last, lasted till the end of the season, but allowed them into a false sense that they were on the verge of having a winning team. And now Vancouver is even deeper in the hole that they have made for themselves. Signing JT Miller means that Bo Harvett went unsigned, and now he might be gone, where he is actually the piece that they would probably want to keep for an eventual rebuild that they are further away from after the offseason they just had. So the lesson to teams that they should have taken a long time ago, but that they should continue to take, is that do not get fooled by temporary bumps or temporary good streaks. You have to take a cold, hard look at your team and realize what it takes to win in this league, which the Vancouver Canucks clearly did not do. And this is why they find themselves where they are. All right, Arpin, thank you kindly. That'll wrap up the podcast, folks. Thanks so much for downloading and subscribing. Really appreciate your involvement here on Got Your Back. A big thanks to our sponsors, as always, Cross Country Canada Supplies and Rentals, Pro Hockey Life, and Liberty Smart Security, also a valued sponsor here on Got Your Back NHL Edition. Have yourselves a fantastic Wednesday, and we'll talk again real soon. Cheers, folks. Cheers.